Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I just wanted to personally invite all of you to think about joining us at Oasis on Wednesday night, March the 7th. We're starting an all-church, it's open to the entire church Bible study. You know, what, what's, what's amazing, I watch these shows from time to time where people go off and live alone in the woods for days on end, and, and they try to catch fish, and they try to do all kinds of things, and they slowly starve, starve, starve. But, but, but there are some who walk along, and they find, you know, different plants that, that are edible, and they, and they know they're edible. But, but I didn't know they were edible. And they survive because they, they know that things are around them they can eat that most people don't. I'm concerned that we sort of live in an age now where the Word of God is becoming like that to us, where it's kind of all around us. I mean, we can read it online, we can hear it, we can buy it in multiple versions, but we tend to walk by it and maybe not believe we can eat it. We have a generation of people growing up today who really don't know much about the Word of God. I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God anointed every author of this book. And when the Spirit of God meets with this Word, it does amazing things in the lives of those who follow Him. So I want to invite you to come and see as we begin on March the 7th at 6.30 p.m. We're going to start with Paul's first letter that he wrote to the church at Galatia. And let's see what God has in store for all of us. How can you turn that down? I mean, that sounds pretty good. Um, how many of you guys were at the uh, I Still Do last night? Wasn't it great? Fun time. Um, great turnout. And I just thought some really, uh, really, I heard some stories that I didn't completely know about before. Just wonderful to hear people just open their hearts and hear about healing in marriages and connections. So, um, if you didn't go last time, I encourage you to look for the next date. This, it'll, it'll be coming up in a, in a couple of months um, because it's, real, it's well worth it. Well, Aaron and Nicole are out of town. <clears throat> They're at uh, Riversong over in Springfield. We have a wonderful relationship with them, and they are um, ministering over there today. And Micah is in his home state of, uh, originally birth state of Washington, and so he's ministering out there. And so you get the pleasure of listening to me today. And what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to finish out our every series. So uh, we started this back in November with um, every table, and then we moved into December. It was uh, every house, and then January was every church, and now this month, it's every community. So I'm going to finish out the series on every community, and um, I just want to start by saying community is something that we all crave. Community is something that we're all really born for. We want to be a part of something bigger. Even that kindergartner wants to be a part of the bigger group, wants to feel like they belong, wants to feel like they're included, like there's some kind of connection. We were never meant to go it alone. And we're never even meant to just go it me and God. Okay? He created us to actually be a part of something bigger. As imperfect as other people around us may be, he wants us to be a part of a bigger community. So I have a couple of scriptures I want to point out that I think illustrate this really well. These are fairly well-known scriptures, but um, I like them. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love that image of, of you know, three-strand three cord coming together as one. And we used that image last night, actually, in our, in our marriage. Um, our marriage meeting was... 
you know, you have the husband, wife, and you have the Lord making that three-strand cord. When you have all three of those together, it's really hard to break that. Here's another scripture, Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I think this scripture is amazing to me because it's, you know it's true, one, because it's scripture, so that's a good reason that it's true. But the other one is it just feels true, doesn't it? When you read that, like if two or three together, doesn't it just feel like, yeah, he's in the midst of us? The odd thing is, when you think about it, does that mean he's not there if it's just me alone? Well, no, not really. Like, God is everywhere. He is with me. If I'm all on my own, he will never leave me nor, nor forsake me. So he's always there. But the thing is, there's something that comes to another level when we experience him in community. When we experience him together, where two or three are gathered, it just kicks it up a notch. It kicks it to something there. So it's not that he's not there when it's just him and me. But there's something new. There's something different. That's why one of the reasons we gather here together to worship. I could worship on, on my own at home. He would be there. But it wouldn't be the same if I wasn't in community, if I wasn't together with, with, with some other people. And so I was wondering, why is it that we, we crave so much to be in community? Why is it that we want to, to connect with other people? Well, I really believe that God created us that way. I think that's his intention from the beginning, is that we have been built with an inward desire to want to connect with other people. Now, I'll talk about it a little bit later. Some things can get in the way of that. Some things can make us think that we don't want that. But ultimately, it really is what we do want. Now, think about um, different times. I was thinking about different experiences in my life when I really felt deep community. And the first one that I came up with was in the midst of tragedy. Those of you who are old enough, how many of you can remember the 9-11 attacks? Do you remember what happened in the days following? Like what the, the atmosphere was in, 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 you know, in our communities um, I remember we, we had like a rally. All the churches in the area where I was ministering came together, and everybody got their three minutes to say something, and everybody was just arm in arm, holding hands, bless you. Nobody was asking, are you Democrat or Republican? What's your stance on gun laws? You know, nobody was asking those things. Everybody's like, we're in this together. We're community. George W. Bush, who people look back and hate, had the highest approval rating of all time. Because we all were community at that time. Now, unfortunately, it was tragedy that had to bring us to that. But there are times in life when we look around and recognize, okay, we're part of something bigger. And sometimes tragedy will do that. When a bad thing happens and you just rally with each other and you just decide those other little things don't matter. But let me give you a couple of other examples of when those things happen. One, one of my favorite jobs growing up, might be my favorite, was when I worked on a cherry farm. I... Um, worked in a position where my job was sorter. And so there was this conveyor belt, and, and the uh, sour cherries would come to, and they, were, they kept them in water, so it was all wet. Your hands would be all stained black by the time you were done. And they'd go in front of you, and you would pick out the bad cherries. That was my job that summer. Every once in a while, I'd get to go out in the field, and they'd have a shaker that would shake the cherries off the tree, and then we'd take them back and sort them. But most of the time... My job was picking and sorting cherries. I didn't like that job so much because of the job, though. I got to have this job. We'd all sit around the table with all these other high school kids and me, and we would just cut up and laugh, and we'd just joke around as we're sorting the cherries. I loved that job. It wasn't because I got to sort cherries. <laughs> it was because I got to be in community. I got to be around other people, and we just were connecting. And then we could tell stories about you know, the things that we, the jokes that we had, the things we did, and we'd, we'd connect on this different level because we were part of something bigger. Another thing that happened, another example I thought was a really good one, this past summer, uh, my son Caleb got free tickets to a Reds game. And um, he got good grades, and so they, they said, you know, pick any one of these dates and you can go to the game. Well, um, he got two tickets, and so he asked if I wanted to go. And... Um, I said, sure, I really enjoy baseball. Now, he's, he's, he historically had not been as much of a baseball fan. Um, he was kind of vaguely interested in football because there's so much action that happens in a football game. Baseball is a little slower. Baseball's not exactly football. So I was telling him, you know, as we're getting ready for the game, I was explaining to him, you know, 
Now, football is intense. Football is action all the time. There's always something new that's going to happen. Every play, somebody hits somebody. In baseball, you kind of got to be patient. But every once in a while, there will be these events that happen that no other sport can hold a candle to. Because if you wait for it, something incredible will happen. But you have to be patient for it. So we're, we're watching the game. And, um, you know, he's asking stuff. And I'm telling him, because I'm, you know, baseball fan from the 80s when baseball card collecting was really big and, and all of that. And um, there's this guy named Scooter Jeanette that the Reds had picked up. Now, I'm not a Reds fan. I'm an Indians fan. I grew up north. But, sorry, I, I didn't even get on the Browns. But, but um, you know, I enjoy baseball. And so, I, um, so this guy, Scooter Jeanette, um, he is um, just a, a little guy. And um, he comes up, and his first at bat, he hits a double. We thought, oh, that's, I, I didn't think anything of it. A guy hits a double, no big deal. Next at bat, he comes up and he hits a home run. But oh, that's cool. The next at bat, he comes up and he hits another home run. I think, wow, that's pretty neat. And so, you know, we're getting like his third time up to bat. He hits a third home run. Now we're thinking, wow, this is pretty amazing. Very rarely do you see a guy hit three home runs in a game. So at that point, it might have changed slightly since then, but at that point, there had been 18 men in history of Major League Baseball that had hit four home runs in a game. Now, baseball's been around since the, since the late 1800s, and they, nowadays they have um, 30 teams, and they all play 162 games a year. So only of all those games that they ever played, only 18 guys had hit four home runs in a game. So they needed to get um, one guy on base for Scooter to have his at-bat to try for another home run. So we're all rooting for it. Everybody, everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what's happening. And we're thinking, um, you know, if this guy can just get on base. So the guy in front of him manages to get on base, so he's going to have his at-bat. And we're all thinking, we might see history here. This might be a big deal. So the first pitch, Scooter swings as hard as he can and totally misses. You can tell that he was trying to make history. You could tell it, all right? The next pitch he connects on, and you knew it was going out. You could tell, and it went out, and everybody in the stadium started jumping up, going nuts, going crazy. And we weren't asking who was Democrat and who was Republican. We weren't asking about what your stance are on gun laws or who did you vote for, what do you think of Trump, or any of those kinds of things. We were sharing an experience together. We were part of something bigger. And all that matters is, is that we were part of something larger than ourselves, and we connected as human beings into one thing. We all crave those kinds of experiences. I hope everybody's had one. One other experience I'll mention and um, this, I think, is, is, is similar to what we try to create here, especially in worship. When I, was, um, when I was 18 years old, I was an exchange student in Chile. And I was, I was living there, and um, the class that I was in had a class trip. Um, we spent a week um, a couple of regions away at um, like a, a desert area in, in cabins. And as we're driving there, a couple of guys brought guitars. And um, they're playing on the car, and they're playing like 60s and 70s rock and roll music. And as they start playing, like every single person on the bus just starts bellowing out, singing this music together. And we're just all like connecting. Now, I could have listened to those songs on the radio right before, and I wouldn't have thought that much of it. But there was something almost spiritual that was happening because we were connecting as community. We weren't worried about what the other guy was like or the personalities or anything like that. We were realizing we were part of a bigger picture. We were part of something bigger. And I think that's kind of what we try to do here when we come into worship or when we're doing these, these kind of things as a community together. We're trying to create something that's creating community and family together as, as part of something bigger. So... Um, I want to talk about what, the, what it is about these experiences, these times that, that we've all experienced, hopefully, at some point in our lives, but it seems like it's not enough. You're always craving that next experience. Um, when we realize that we're part of something bigger, what it is about those things. 
you know, I, I don't go through the stadium at the baseball game interviewing everybody and making sure we agree on everything. We just kind of look at each other and know we're in this together. Even, even the St. Louis Cardinals fans knew that they were part of something. They had something to connect and talk about. And right now, I feel like we've got something like that brewing here at Upper Room. We've got a community that we feel like we're a part of something bigger. We recognize that, that um, we believe that there's this love thing that we have going on and that it is, the expression of that love is family. And, and, you know, we're not perfect at it. We're still learning what family completely looks like and how do people that don't live in your house, how do they, what does that mean that they're family? But we're really starting to touch on that. We're really starting to learn what that's about. And um, we think that, that healthy family is the greatest expression of how love works. So... Um, the thing is, though, if you really want your family to stay strong, you've got to make sure that your family grows. It's got to go beyond just, well, let's just hunker down and let's just keep our family together and keep us strong. You have to have vision outside of yourself. You've got to be going beyond that. So one of the things that I think we also believe here at Upper Room is that everyone deserves a family. Everyone. You know, we have something really good not perfect, but really good going here. But I look outside of here, and I talk, you know, I talk about the family we have with excitement, and I hear what other people talk about, and I recognize they don't have it. And it breaks my heart. And it's part of our duty to bring that to people outside of here. There's a bigger community that's crying out for family. I mean, they're crying out. I hope that starts to break your heart that you're thankful for what you've got, but you recognize there's something more out there. Imagine with me, dream with me for just a moment. What would it look like if all of Hyatt Street knew what family was? Like, just, just keep it that, that local, that simple. We don't have to go blow up the whole county or the whole state. What if just all of Hyatt Street knew what family was? How would that impact Tip City? How would that impact our county if... if, if God's presence just showed. Now, I'm not talking about everybody on Hyatt Street coming to Upper Room. I'm talking about everybody on Hyatt Street knowing what family is and, and living it and going after that. So, you know, I was looking through Scripture, and I was, I was trying to find an example. I think I found a good one of what happens when community around you catches on, catches hold of that kind of culture. This is Acts chapter 5. Verses 12 and 13. This is what's happening. This is what was happening early on in the first year or so of the early church after Pentecost, and Jesus has ascended, and this is what's going on in the early church. They're really going after it. They're really going after um, spreading the gospel. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, they, so that they brought out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. There was such a community that, that everybody was in this together, that something bigger than them, than them was happening, that even people outside of the group held them in esteem, held them in high regard. Like these were people that weren't among this group, but they were looking at them and saying, something good's going on there, and I'm a little afraid, but, but it's pretty good going on. And then it was open to bring new people in. So there was a level of respect that it wasn't like you don't just do this casually. Like people could tell this is a serious thing. But the, the people who were hungry would come in and come and be a part of it. I think that there's something like that um, brewing here that I've, I've, I see it beginning to start. The last time we went out on a love explosion a week or two ago, I started to see a little bit of this in our community around here. Um, if you don't know what a love explosion is, is we basically um, set a date, a morning, usually Saturday mornings, 
and we go out and we find just different ways to bless people in our community. And um, Steve Bowen, as, as well as um, Michael Level and Tiana Lambert, Steve kind of spearheads this with different ideas that we can go out and bless people. Well, this last time, the main thing that we did is we got a box full of cupcakes, and we went to different businesses, and we just would go in and we just say, we just wanted to thank you for being in our community, for having your business here. We wanted to bless you if you have a break room, if you have a place for these cupcakes. Is there anything we can pray with you about? And one of the, the things that, um, that I was struck by is oftentimes when you do that, now we weren't going in and trying to say, come to Upper Room, we'll trade you cupcakes for that. Okay? <laughs> we just wanted to bless people with cupcakes. If they came to Upper Room, wonderful. But if they don't and they were blessed with a cupcake, that's a victory too. Okay? But what they would often say is, well, what church are you from? And we, of course, we're not trying to hide it. We would say, we're from Upper Room. And when you'd say that, people were like, oh, okay. And it made sense to them that we were from Upper Room because Upper Room is gaining a reputation in the city. Now, that wasn't necessarily our goal. Our goal is to, to, to bring Jesus to people. But as you do that, you start to get a reputation. People start to know. People that don't go to Upper Room start to know. Oh, there's a church that gives cupcakes to people because God loves them. I like that. I like that kind of reputation that, that people don't feel like they have to have to be a part um, inside your church to have a positive attitude, to be maybe even grateful that you're in the community. I love that, that people that, that don't even come here can be thankful that we're a part of the community. That's, that's a wonderful thing to me. So um, what we need to do, though, is sometimes when, um, when we achieve a goal on a certain level, that can be the biggest obstacle to going after the next goal because we can get comfortable. And the biggest, the, the example I was thinking of is poor Michael Jordan. The poor guy. At age 40, he peaked. Like he achieved everything you could imagine. He was the, the, probably the best-known person in the world. He um, won the, the NBA championship six times. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Everybody. And then he was 40, and he retired. And if you see him today, he just looks so miserable. I mean, he, he, oh, the be his best days were behind him. And that's what can happen if we, if we look for our goal and, and settle into now without vision of what the next thing is, what God would have for us next. And so if we're beginning to have an influence in, in, in our families, then we want to expand that in our church. If we're beginning to have an influence in our church, we want to expand that into our community. It's because God only knows increase. It's because we want to share the goodness. It's not that we want to conquer the world for our own selfish gain. It's that we want to share the love with the people around us. You know, think about the, uh, the challenge that the Jews in the early church faced when uh, they realized that, hey, this gospel is not just for the Jewish people. They had gone their whole lives knowing that they were God's chosen people. And there's this big, you, you can read about it in Acts 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they have this big argument about who actually gets into the church. Like, what do you have to do to actually be, be a part, to be saved, to be a believer? And, um, you know, this is a big debate. Because all of a sudden, these, these uncircumcised Gentiles are seeing miracles, signs, and wonders and connecting with Jesus, and they're not even God's chosen Jewish people. How can this be? Now, they did end up making the right choice. They said, let them in. God's doing something. Let them in. But there was a challenge there that they had to face to go to the next level, to allow what God was doing to spread to the next thing. And the challenge that I see, there are twofold challenges, is... Um, one of them is fear. Fear is, what are people going to think of us? Is this going to ruin what the good thing we have going? If we let other people into our group, is it going to be more, you know, are we going to still have the same closeness? It causes us to forget that we're part of something bigger. Fear causes us to focus in on ourselves. I'm going to protect me, okay? And it makes us think that we have to agree on everything or you can't be a part of the group. If, if, you're, if you see things a little bit different, if you evangelize a little bit different, then you can't be a part of our group. There was no fear when we're celebrating the fourth home run. 
we're in, we're just like, yeah, we're all part of this, you know. People are high-fiving people they didn't know, you know, because we're in this together. Fear of what other people will do. You know, people get more afraid of things that, um, of, of things like terror or mass shootings than they do of things that are actually everyday problems because, because fear has such a hook in us. The statistics of, of people who are actually affected by terrorism or mass shootings of actually dying from those things is so much smaller than like an actual car accident or something that we really could pay more attention to. But because terror and fear is such a hook, it causes us to do, do things like that. People don't make rational decisions when they're afraid. But the other thing that keeps us from doing, from expanding community and going and making community larger, bringing the gospel to other people, is selfishness. Maybe you're not afraid. Maybe you're not afraid of, you know, I could go talk to anybody. I just don't feel like it. I just got better things to do. Just would rather not right now. And so I, I, um, I want to give you another scripture example. I like uh, this one as an example of what it looks like to be selfish and what I believe were the consequences of selfishness. This is 2 Kings chapter 20, and I'm going to read uh, 12 through 19. At that time, Baradoc Baladathi, of Baladan, easy for me to say, king of Babylon, sent letters to his, to, and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard Hezekiah had been sick. Now, Hezekiah, in my opinion, is probably one of the top three, maybe four kings of the Old Testament. Very much integrity, brought you know, pure, holy worship back to Israel. And he had been on his deathbed, but God promised him extra time. And so, so um, this other king from Babylon is, is, is thinking, well, Hezekiah must be on his deathbed. But since then, God had healed him. Verse 13, And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all, showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold, the spices and the precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, if you know about Babylon, they're actually the country that will eventually take over Israel. They conquered, they conquered the nation of Israel later. So he showed them everything that he has, all the good stuff. Going on to verse 14. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I, did, that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, this is some terrible news. Because of what Hezekiah did, unknowingly, this is what Isaiah the prophet is saying is going to happen. They're going to be taken over. And not only that, your sons are going to serve them as eunuchs. That's pretty bad news. That's going to threaten your family line. But the worst part is what comes next. When you see this, it just blows my mind. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? How sad is that? How sad is that? Is that he is only caring about himself. He's only thinking about what is going to happen. At least I don't have to deal with it. I'll be dead. I'll be six feet under by the time they have to deal with that. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to deal with problems that are coming. I wonder. Now, now Scripture doesn't say this, so, so please don't make this a doctrine. But I wonder what might have happened if Hezekiah said, Oh, Isaiah, I didn't know what I did. Please let this not be so. Let's intercede. Let's pray that this not happen to our nation. 
What can I do to make this not? Let me pass down an inheritance so that the generations after me will not have to suffer. What could have happened? We don't know what could have happened. Scripture doesn't say. But I just wonder what might have. And that's what selfishness can do. There's a challenge that we face today. In our culture, in our country especially, the challenge that we face, I don't think is the thing that most people would say it is. I think our challenge is living in prosperity. We live in so much prosperity, we don't know what to do with it. You know, um, in, in third world countries, I don't think that they're worried about their obesity problem. But that's something that we talk about here in the United States because we have prosperity. We have to figure out what to do with all the food that we have. And in, um, in other countries, in, you know, in, in uh, 200 years ago, they didn't worry about getting a treadmill to stay in shape. It was just kind of throughout your day, you, you just did work. You didn't have to figure out what to do. Now we have, we don't have to um, do manual labor all of the time, many of us. We don't have to do those kinds of things, so now we have to figure out what to do. When you don't have to do it, now you have to figure out how to exercise. Oh, there's a problem. That must be rough, having that kind of, kind of prosperity. That now, you don't get exercise on your own having to do your job. You actually have to figure out how to manage yourself. But the other thing that I think about is social communication. You no longer have to have face-to-face contact with people. You can have an argument, you can uh, break up, you can find a date online. You can make friends on Facebook. You can go to the self-checkout at the store or just order yours at, and, and, and uh, drive-through pickup. You can have things delivered to you. You can have all of these conveniences so that you don't have to deal with people. So you don't have to have any eye contact, you don't have to face anybody. And those are wonderful conveniences. I don't think anything of those things are wrong on their own. But when they replace what we really need, which is human contact, there's a problem. There's an issue. Because those things don't replace our need for human contact. They don't replace the fact that God created us to be in community. They may like make life easier, but if you don't know how to manage prosperity well, they're going to make your life worse. Prosperity is a poor fit for somebody who wants to do less. God does not bring prosperity on us so that we can figure out how to do less. He gives us prosperity so that we can make the world better, so that we can see outside of ourselves. You know, um, the, uh, the Christian life is really, you know, we, we like to talk about, you know, pray the prayer and you get to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus showed us. Because the Christian life is not about get, it's about give. Listen to this, Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He said, lose your life. Our, our job is not just to get people saved. Our job is to help people become Christ-like. That's what we're going after. Is We want people to become Christ-like. We don't want the get-out-of-hell-free ticket. We want people to become more like Jesus. You know, I, I think about some of the problems that we have, that we, we hear about in our society um, you know, we talk about a lot of times in this kind of the heroin ep- epidemic and the, the big problem with that. Or recently in the news, you've you heard the school shootings, which is a real issue, a real problem. Different kinds of immorality we think about. But I think that there's a bigger issue than, you know, whether, whether you're allowed to have guns or whether you're not or what the laws say or those kinds of things. Because 50 years ago, we had those and people weren't shooting each other like that. There's a bigger issue. And I would submit to you that the issue is that people aren't connected. Like there's nobody there to, to, to call out and say, I think that's a bad idea. Now, most normal people, probably anybody in here, if I told you, 
um, shooting somebody is bad. You probably know that. Like, I, that's not news to anybody, okay? And 99% and of the people, 99.9% .9 of the people know that. The problem is, is that 0.1% are not getting that face-to-face -face contact with people who are saying, ah, you probably shouldn't do that. That's a bad thing. They're not getting that because you can substitute that with the extreme, which is things like social media, which, which on social media, you're only going to get the extreme opinion. There's nobody there face-to-face -face talking to you. So you think, well, this is how the world thinks. I don't like that world. They're all against me. I have no connection to them. I care about what they think. I ha we all have to think the same thing, and if we don't, I need to eliminate them. And that's terrible. Part of our job is helping people to just connect socially, to just figure out, and then they get to experience Jesus. Now, I love it when, um, when studies and science support the things that we're teaching from Scripture. I just think that's so much fun that, that you know, when science catches up to what, what the Bible's already showing you. There was a study that was done fairly recently um, by a lady named Julianne Holt Lundstad um, at BYU. And what the survey was is she surveyed tens of thousands of middle-aged adults, um, just surveying them for different factors in their life. You know, um, are you a smoker? Do you drink? Um, do you exercise? Different things like that to see what kind of kind of things made people the healthiest. So it was a seven-year study. She did the study, and then she just waited seven years to see who died. And the ones that died, she saw what was in common, and the ones that were still alive, she saw what was in common. Okay? So very, very, you know, but there was tens of thousands of people, so it was pretty broad for the study. Some very interesting things were found in the study, things that I did not expect. So here are some of the factors that they found. This is, I'm starting from low to high. These are lower factors in it. This doesn't mean they have no influence, but these were lower on the influence scale. Okay? The first one was clean air. Clean air was very low. If you're in a smoggy area, if, you have, if there's not a lot of clean air, that doesn't influence as high as some of the other factors. That was very low on the list. The next one is hypertension treatment. Yes, you should get hypertension treatment, but that's a low factor on the list if you're dealing with hypertension. The next one was, this is good news for a lot of us. If you're lean or overweight, your body mass has, has a lot less to do with how long you're going to live than some of these higher factors. Now, we think that's like the most important thing. The next one is, is still fairly low, which is exercise. What? Don't have to exercise? Well, it's still good to exercise. But that's not as high a factor as some of these higher scales. The next one is if, if, if you needed cardiac rehab, did you take advantage of that? Were you, were you dealing with cardiac rehab? After that was, this one uh, surprised me, was flu vaccination. I don't get a flu vaccination, but um, that, was, that was what the results said. After that, we're kind of in the middle range now. Um, was higher after that. If you, if you quit drinking or you never started drinking and in, in excess, like if you did not drink in excess or you, or you quit drinking in excess. After that, now we're getting higher on it, was if you quit smoking or you never smoked. Now the next one is probably where you think I'm leading you, but this is not the top one, okay? The next one is your social relationships, your close relationships, the people you're close to. If you have a good core family, that is a much higher predictor of how long you're going to live than whether you exercise or not. It actually, it actually means a lot more. But that's not even the highest one. The highest one, get this, the highest one is social integration. What that means is, as you go through day-to-day -day with people you're close to and you're not close to, do you smile at them? Do you say hi? Do you carry a conversation with your cashier? Do you spend time with people you don't know well being friendly? That was the highest factor determined how long life. What does that tell me is, it reaffirms that's how God created us to be. God created us to be in relationship. In fact, if you combine the close relationships and the social, extra, um, the social integration, if you put those together, that's like three to one on exercise. So if you have to choose to be social or exercise, well, that's what the results will say. <laughs> but that's what God made us for.
<laughs> so to kind of uh, move in on, on uh, finding a place to park this, I want to give you guys a, a few things to help you fight fear and selfishness. These are things that we fight all the time. I still fight it all the time. I'm fearful what people are going to think or what's going to happen or what we're going to do. Or I just don't feel like doing it right now. I'm just really not in the mood. I just wanted to go pick up something at the store and leave, and that was all I really cared about. Here's how we fight it. First of all is you choose to die to yourself. You just say, you know what, this, is, this world is not about me. I just choose, I'm going to die to myself now. Jesus, where would you have me go? And as you give your life, you will find it. As you give him your life, you will, you will realize there's nothing else I would rather be doing. I no longer can think about just what do I want. I'm thinking about what matters in the bigger picture and those around me, those closest to me especially. The second one is never try to do the impossible without God. Now, we can get out into the world and we can start thinking, oh, you know, God's just given me such power and such authority and, and there's so many things that I can chase after. But if I forget that it comes from him, then I'm going to be working to earn it. I'm going to be working to, to, to uh, figure out how I can be better and earn my place, my position more. The third one is keep fighting for community inside as you bring it outside. Never forget the reason you're bringing community to the world out there is because you have community in here. I love what we do here is, is emphasizing family to the point that I would rather sacrifice time feeding into the community at large than sacrifice feeding into my family. I need to make sure that I'm cultivating that atmosphere at home so that when I come out in the community, when I come out to people around me, it's real. It's got to be genuine. I don't want it to be fake. I don't, want it to be, I don't want people out there to get better me than I give at home. <clears throat> the next one is don't avoid re resistant areas. What I mean by this is there's a certain store in Tip City that does not like people blessing them. We bring cupcakes to them, we bring treats to them, and they're just like, no, we do not want to be blessed. That's a bad thing. And I'm sure it's because they've been wounded by church or they think that we're trying to make them come to our church or, or whatever. I'm sure there are probably legitimate hurts, pains, and reasons for that. But what our job is now is we need to figure out how can we be a blessing to them that they might receive. We're praying to figure out, all right, what can we do? They're not, they're not getting this traditional outreach that we normally do. And I will not mention what store that this is. Some of you may know, but, but what can we do? Maybe we go there and we just all buy stuff and we just say, thank you so much for this store, you know? Maybe it's, it's something that they can see. We don't have an agenda but to love you. That's our, that's our whole agenda. We really just, we're thankful for your store and our community. We want to make sure that we're blessing, blessing you. But I don't want to give up on the people or on the, the businesses, or on the things that I feel like there's resistance here. I want to come in and believe to know me is to love me. You just don't know me yet. So to know upper room is to love upper room. And if you don't love upper, you just don't know them yet. You just don't know us yet. So here, let me, let me give you a little more time to, to get to know us. Um, another one is do it before you think about it. I had this uh, happen to me once is it's crazy what you can talk yourself out of doing if you think about it long enough, okay? I was at a, um, at a um, food kitchen ministry um, years ago, and uh, we're kind of just preparing the meals and that kind of thing, and there was kind of a, a lull in the time. And um, I'm looking around, and I see there's a guy with a cane. Now, I know I don't need to be prophetic to think this guy could use some prayer, okay? That's a sure sign. I've had the training. I know what you're supposed to do if you see somebody with a cane is you go up and you ask if you can pray for them. But I could feel the resistance in me. And you guys, unless you're like just this hardcore evangelist, you've all felt this resistance. Like, I, I, I don't know if it was fear or selfishness or a combination of both, but I'd really just rather not. I'd really, I'm just going to skip this one. I'll bless them from a distance, God, you know. I'll pray in my mind. It's the same. You know, God, you, you know. 
I don't have to say it. I don't have to go up to them. God, you already know. But I knew that if I did that, I would talk myself out of it. So I'm like, I'm going to make my feet start moving and get there before I have time to think too much about this. So I go up to him and I ask a lady, because I, I, I wanted some moral support, a lady that was helping minister there. I said, will you help me pray for this guy? And, so, and she said, sure. And so, you know, I'm, I'm leading the thing and I ask him, hey, I saw that you had a cane. I was wondering if there's something that we could pray about. And he, and he said, oh yeah, I have one leg that's shorter than the other. And I think, oh my gosh, every Pentecostal has a leg growing out story. I don't want one of these. <laughs> but I knew the drill. So you make them sit down in a seat. You prop their feet up and see which one's longer. I, I know what you're supposed to do. And we start praying because, you know, he's, he's willing to let us pray. And I'm praying with my eyes open because I was trained that too because I want to see it if it's going to grow out. I want to actually see what's happening. So I'm praying for him. And... Um, we're, we're just speaking, you know, leg grow, not any big, you know, profound prayer. And um, all of a sudden, I did not see the leg grow. It's like, I, and I don't think I blinked either. It's like all of a sudden, they were just both the same. I don't know what happened. I, 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 to this day, I can't figure out what exactly happened. It's just like, wait a minute, they're the same. Nothing that I could see grew out. It's just like all of a sudden, they both look the same. So I was, and the next thing you're supposed to do is ask him to try it out. And so he gets up, and he's like, yeah, that's about right. That's about it. Feels good. I was like, oh my gosh, was it that easy? <laughs> but the thing was, I could have easily talked myself out of that. Easily. If, if I didn't just decide, all right, I'm just going to go do this. I'm just going to go step out and do it. I would have allowed myself to be ruled by fear or selfishness. And I don't want to be ruled by that. The other thing is, um, is learning to love without agenda. And basically that means is, I don't have to pray for you, but I'm willing to. I don't have to get you saved. If you're not interested in giving your life to Jesus, but I can make your day brighter, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm happy to do that, you know. If, um, you know, some of the things that I've noticed, have you ever just tried going around just smiling at people? Have you ever tried it? What happens? They smile right back at you. It's like something happens. You can't smile at somebody and it's very difficult, I can't say you can't, but it's very difficult for somebody to look back at you while you're smiling at them and not want to smile back. It's just kind of how it works. And so you can brighten people's day with just like the simplest little things like that. If, if you want some ideas, we've got this love well wall out, out in the narthex there. Um, it's got little hearts, paper hearts on it with some different ideas, different ways that you can just do simple things to bless people. Go out there, there's, there's lower risk and higher risk things. Just pick one of those things off and just decide that you're going to do that at some point this week. Um, because just find, do the little things. Don't feel like you have to conquer the whole world. Just recognize what I do, wherever I go, I can make this place a better place. Even if it's just smiling at my cashier. If you, even if it's just sharing those things. Because remember, the science reports... If you, the more social interaction you have with other people, the longer life you're going to live. But guess what? You're also giving social interaction to them. So now they get to live longer because they didn't even, they weren't even expecting it. Now you, that's the power you get to carry, that you get to bless them, and they don't even know it because you're just interacting socially with them. Then the last thing is decide what you're going to do beforehand. Don't wait for the opportunities to come and try to figure out what you're going to do. If before you go out today, just decide, I'm going to smile at people today, or I'm going to, I'm going to ask my cashier about their day, or I'm going to, if I see somebody with a cane, I'm going to go up to them and start a conversation and see if I might be able to pray for them. Decide it before you go. That way you don't have to, you're not in the middle of it and trying to figure out, should I or shouldn't I? Is that really God or not? I don't know. Decide who you are beforehand, and then when you get in situations, you're ready. You may still be nervous. You may still be fighting fear and selfishness, but you know what you've decided to do beforehand. So what I want to do is I want to go ahead and we're going to wrap things up this morning, but I want to invite you guys to stand up. We can put some, uh, have the, the band come up. We're going to do a little quick exercise Put your hands out. Um, 
just kind of like you're giving and receiving. What I, uh, what I want you to do is, is I want you to ask Holy Spirit a question. You can ask him this in your mind. I want you to ask him, uh, Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that you want to highlight to me right now that I'm operating out of fear or selfishness? Is there anything in me? And just wait. He might give you a thought, a word, an image picture, a feeling, a sense. Whatever pops in your head, just assume that it's from him and see what he shows you. And just take a second. And as he shows you that, I'm going to ask you to repent. And here's what repentance means. It doesn't mean you're just this terrible, horrible person that does bad things. Because Jamie Van Gelder shared the, the, the story a month or so ago. Is repentance means you're just missing the mark. And so if you shot your arrow in the complete wrong direction, you're missing the mark. But if you shot your arrow an inch off, you're still missing the mark. So some of us have to make huge adjustments and allow the Holy Spirit to make, get us on course. Some of us just need a little bump in the right direction. But either way, it requires repentance. You're going back to hit the mark. So I'm going to have you repent. Just repeat this out loud with me. Lord, I repent for in any way that I have embraced fear or selfishness. I don't need that anymore. And I don't want it anymore. So I give that to you. What do you have in exchange for me? Now just wait and see what he might give you in exchange for that. It might be an image, a thought. You may have complete understanding of what it is. But whatever it is, that's yours. You get to keep it. If you feel yourself wanting to be fearful or selfish, that's your new tool now to deal with it. You get to have that now. Now, I'm just going to pray for you, so just receive this. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this family. I thank you for the community that we live in. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see how we can impact and affect those out there with your love. I pray that you cover and bless everybody here, that we today we declare victory for you because you declared it on the cross for us. Lord, today we declare victory over fear and selfishness. We thank you for these people in Jesus' name. And I also 